you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Reading from Ephesians 1, starting at verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thank you, Jess. Well, good morning. It's a great honor to be here this morning and to share the word. And what a magnificent church you have, City on a Hill. And uh, thank you, Jess, for reading that scripture. Thank you, Steph, for leading the service. And uh, I want to say thank you as well to Pastor Guy and Vanessa as well for having us. Great honor. Appreciate your friendship. And what a magnificent work God has done from starting in a bar in the Docklands. Can anything good come from a bar? Yes, City on a Hill. And so it's an amazing work that you've led, and we just want to acknowledge your leadership, your service, your sacrifice, your faith. Can we honor and thank Pastor Guy and Vanessa? Thank you. Appreciate your hospitality. And it's an honor this morning to continue this series, Pray. Uh, We're talking about conversations with the Creator. And uh, I noticed in the photo earlier displaying the next three weeks, I was the only preacher without a Bible, but it's all right. Uh, We'll refer to it today. And uh, this is a great series at the start of a brand new year because this is the time of year where uh, we're being more intentional about the rhythms that we want to create, about the habits that are going to be conducive to life and flourishing and the growth of our faith. And uh, also, it's a great series if you're new to faith. Maybe you're in church this morning and you're checking out faith, you're checking out church. Uh, I want to just say what a wonderful series that your pastoral team have planned at the start of a brand new year because many people say, well, I should pray, I just don't know where to start. Uh, I should pray, I just don't know if I'm doing it right. And so I think this, real, this series is really helpful and really instructive. And I know that the last few weeks will have really blessed and helped. And I really pray today adds to that. I want to say hello to everyone joining us online as well. Great to have you with us. And I wonder if together, whether you're in the room or online, I wonder if we could pray right now as we consider God's word from Ephesians 1 together. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would take these words from Paul and Lord, let them be impressed upon our heart today. Father, we pray like Paul prayed that there would be more than just the, the transfer of information. But Lord, we pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to open the eyes of our heart today as we consider your word. Father, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we want to, in the time we have together, we want to zero in on this prayer prayed by Paul that we've just heard 
that's recorded in Ephesians chapter 1. And I don't want to assume that you've got a familiarity with the Bible. I don't want to assume that you know what Ephesians is or means. And so let me give a little bit of context, which then might help us to understand what Paul's praying and help us to apply it to our own lives. So first we want to ask, well, who is this guy called Paul? And Paul was a guy who was first called Saul of Tarsus, and he lived in the first century. He was educated he was eloquent. Uh, he was born a Roman citizen to Jewish parents. He was trained in a Jewish view of the scriptures, and he was not a follower of Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you were not born into church, not born into a, a, a heritage of following Jesus, well, Saul would probably connect with you on that. He wasn't born into a family or into an upbringing that followed Jesus. In fact, he did not believe that Jesus was sent from God. He did not believe that Jesus was the son of God. And he did not believe that Jesus had been raised from death to life. In fact, Saul was offended by the very suggestion of these things. And so Saul had really dedicated his life to shutting down churches and chasing down Christians. And, uh, but at some point at around 33 to 36 AD, how many people this morning would be grateful that Jesus doesn't hold our past against us, but there's always a new future for us in Jesus? And Saul, sometime around 33 to 36 AD, has this dramatic and life-changing encounter with Jesus while on his commute to Damascus. And so in a moment, Saul comes face-to-face with the reality of Jesus as resurrected Lord and God. In fact, this encounter, people who don't even know the Bible may refer to a Damascus Road encounter. And it's like this dramatic uh, transition, this dramatic U-turn in life. Well, well, this encounter that Saul has is so dramatic that he is literally, he, his physical eyes are blinded because of this encounter with Jesus. Such was the glory of Jesus. And so Physically, he saw nothing. He was blind for a few days, and yet spiritually, his eyes were opened to see the reality of Jesus. That's important because Paul's going to kind of use this kind of language in this prayer that we see in Ephesians chapter 1. His name gets changed from Saul to Paul, and he spent the rest of his life preaching the gospel, planting churches, developing leaders through Asia Minor and Greece. Now, Paul is writing to Christians who live in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was not really a conservative Bible Belt town, okay? Ephesus was a city where there was about 50 gods and goddesses that were worshipped. It was the home of the, uh, the worship of Artemis and uh, the imperial Roman cult. But through Paul's influence, the gospel so impacted that city, it literally upended whole segments of the economy as people's spending habits were changed, when their hearts were changed by Jesus. And I believe that's what our churches are called to do. Not just be in a city, but to influence a city and to make a difference in the city by transforming people's hearts through the gospel of Jesus until the city starts to look more and more like the city that God intends. And so there was a riot in Ephesus because of Paul's influence. He literally ends up escaping for his life from the city. Who said church life is dull? And if you do the internship, could happen to you as well. And so in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus has social pressures, there is spiritual pressure, there is economic pressure, and yet in spite of all of that challenge, the believers in Ephesus 
are strong in their faith. Paul is writing this letter, this prayer from prison. And because even from prison, he's heard of their faith and their love for all the saints. And so in this opening chapter of Ephesians, it opens with one of the longest sentences in the Bible, this beautiful exposition of who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished through his death and resurrection and how through faith in Jesus, you and I get to partake in every spiritual blessing through Jesus. And then Paul transitions into this prayer that he prays in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And so in verse 16, Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And uh, I need to stop right there and make a confession. This is probably where Paul and I differ because confessions of a pastor, oftentimes when I pray, I default to complaining about people and telling God what I need. Would anyone be honest enough this morning to say that you do that as well? Not just Queenslanders, thank you. Isn't it true that often when we go to prayer, our default reaction in the flesh, we want to complain about the people around us and then having vented our complaints, then we want to tell God all the things that I need and then we're like, oh, I've pretty much wrapped up my prayer now, checking out, see you tomorrow, God. That can really be the sum total of our prayer life and yet Paul does the exact opposite. Paul thanks God for people and then Paul asks God for what they need. Now, let's be really clear, City on a Hill, there is nothing wrong with bringing your needs before God. Didn't Jesus say that we should come to our Father in heaven and ask for our daily bread? So I'm not saying that we can't bring our needs to God, but what I'm saying is our prayers ought not stop there. Our prayers ought have a a, a circumference that is wider than just us and our own world. Like Paul, we ought thank God for the people in our world and lift up the needs of others. Now, I wonder if there's anyone today, either in the room or online, who has ever thought, all right, this is the year, I'm going to pray, I'm going to spend 30 minutes in prayer, and then you come to pray, and after like 24.7 seconds, you're like, and I'm out. God, I've run out of things to pray about. We think I tried to pray, but I just ran out of things to pray about. Hey, practical tip, pray for other people. Because if you pray for others, you'll find there is always plenty to pray about. Other times, we feel the, the challenge or we feel inadequate because we look at what other people are going through. Maybe someone in your family, someone in your workplace, someone in your social circle who's going through a health challenge or a marriage challenge or a mental health challenge. And we can look at what the people around about us are going through and we feel powerless We feel like I would love to make a difference, but I don't know how to make a difference in this situation. I feel like I'm restricted in my ability. Well, Paul was restricted in his ability as well. He was under house arrest. He was unable to join them physically. And yet one of the great advantages of prayer is that where we are restricted, prayer is never restricted. And what we can always do is we can pray for others. We see this right throughout the Bible. We see that Isaac prayed for his wife, Rebecca, because she was barren and the Lord granted his prayer and she conceived. I want to encourage husbands, pray for your wives. Moses prayed for the forgiveness of Israel's sin. Samuel prayed for King Saul, who was a rebellious, stubborn king serving in leadership. I'm not going to make any application to a local context. Job, 
Job prayed for his children. Come on, parents, who knows? You can't control your children, but you can pray for your children. Job prayed for his children. And notice at the end of the book of Job, it was when Job prayed for his friends that the Lord restored his fortunes. Jeremiah prayed for backslidden Israel. Ultimately, Jesus prayed for his executioners, Father, forgive them, when he was upon the cross. The Bible says in James 5 and verse 17, the prayer of a righteous person, not a perfect person, but a person made righteous through Jesus. The prayer of a righteous person avails much. I I wanna encourage you today, your prayers are not powerless. And when you and I pray, we ought not just pray for our needs, we ought pray for the needs of other people. Let me ask you a really sobering question. If God answered all of your prayers today, would anyone else be helped or just you? Like, I gotta be honest, if God answered all of my prayers, the numbers on the scales would go down, the numbers in the bank account would go up. But, but when God answers your prayers, it ought benefit more people than just yourself because one of the ways that God enlarges our heart, one of the ways that God makes us more like Christ is when we pray for even our enemies. You are never more like Jesus than when you are praying, even for those who have hurt you. And so to pray for others, like Paul shows us, is a double blessing. It blesses them and it softens and enlarges our hearts and makes us more like Jesus. And so Paul models praying for others. And then we want to look at, well, what does Paul pray for the believers in Ephesus? Um, I wonder if you ever eavesdrop on conversations. Anyone, anyone ever eavesdrop on conversations? Come on, don't lie. We're in the house of the Lord. Just... No, me neither. And so imagine if you could eavesdrop on the Apostle Paul praying. Like he's in the next room. He's praying. You can put a cup to the wall and you can hear what Paul is praying. You would all, we would all want to hear what Paul is praying. Well, we can. It's recorded for us. We get to see the contents of Paul's prayer. And this morning, I guess I want to point out some kind of framework to it. I believe that there is really like one headline to Paul's prayer, and then there's three sub points to Paul's prayer. And so I want to share the headline, and then we're going to close this morning by looking at the sub points of that headline. Here's the headline. It's in verse 17. Paul is praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And so what's the essence? What's the headline? What's the part in bold underline of Paul's prayer? The core of Paul's prayer is that you and I would know God in a full and thorough way. That we would know God in a full way, in a thorough way, in a spiritual way. Not just know about Jesus in an academic or an anecdotal way. Perhaps you're in church this morning, perhaps you're joining us online, and you would say, well, yeah, I know about Jesus. Yeah, I've heard of Jesus. I, you know, like I know about Bill Gates, and I, I know about LeBron James, and I know about Prince Harry. I mean, I haven't watched the Netflix series, but it's four hours of my life, I'll never get back. And uh, yeah, I, I know about some of these people, and you might say, yeah, yeah, sure, I I know about Jesus. There is a big difference between knowing about somebody academically, anecdotally, historically, and knowing somebody personally. You know a little about my family because you just saw some photos on the screen, but you don't know them 
personally and you haven't experienced company with them. And so there is a huge difference between knowing and knowing. There's categories or levels of knowing. And Paul is praying. In fact, later in Ephesians, in Ephesians 3 in verse 19, Paul prays again and he prays that the believers in Ephesus would know Jesus in a way that surpasses general knowledge. And I believe if Paul were in the room today, he would pray this prayer for you, that you would know Jesus in a way that surpasses general knowledge. Uh, As we said earlier, I grew up in a church. I had a general knowledge of Jesus. I had heard the Bible stories and I used to be uh, in our church, very small. I was the overhead transparency operator. Was anyone in church long enough ago before we had these projectors? It was amazing. You, you, you had a lot of power as the OHT operator. You could put those lyrics on, back to front, upside down, get everyone singing in tongues in a heartbeat. It was powerful. So I knew about Jesus. I, I knew about the stories. I, I knew, and perhaps you're here today and you would say, well, I know about it, but it's secondhand information. Paul would pray in Ephesians 1 and in Ephesians 3 that you would know Jesus in a way that surpasses knowledge. And what this means is that you would know Jesus not just in your head, but that you would know Jesus in your heart. That the truth, the reality of Jesus would sink down deep from your head to your heart. That's why Paul uses this language, that the eyes of your heart might be opened or enlightened because once you've experienced this, you know it to be true that you wouldn't just know about Jesus, but by the revelation of the Holy Spirit who loves to reveal Jesus, that your heart would come to know Jesus and love Jesus and value Jesus above all other things. Wikipedia can give you information about Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us a revelation of Jesus. And I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into truth. As you open a Bible, you're not just reading it with your own academic smarts. No, the Holy Spirit delights to open the Word of God to you and open the eyes of your heart to see Jesus and to savor Jesus. And so the big headline of Paul's prayer is that everybody needs to know Jesus. That's the deepest human need that is underneath every other need that we have. It's the deepest human need. You know, sometimes we can look at the challenges in our city. We look at the challenges in our neighborhoods. We look at the challenges on social media. We look at the challenges in our network of friends. And we we can start to assume that there are a whole lot of things that people really need. People need more education. People need more money. People need more self-esteem. People need more affirmation. People need more inclusion. People need more supports. And can I say, many of those things, they're very important, but they're secondary needs because the need beneath our needs is the need to know Jesus. Notice that's why Paul doesn't say, hey, I'm praying for you, city on a hill, Ephesus. I'm praying this year that you would get that pay rise and that you would get that new car and that you would get that extension done on the house. No, no, no. They're all nice. If you want to go do that, go for gold. But Paul is saying, hey, no, no. The need beneath your needs is the need to know Jesus. That's why in John chapter four, we see this fascinating conversation that Jesus has with a woman who really, her life is a relational train wreck. She's had five busted marriages, and now she's living de facto with the sixth guy. And when Jesus sees her, Jesus doesn't give her a five-point lecture on chastity. 
No, what Jesus, look at what Jesus says in John 4 verse 10. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Hey church, it's very easy to be, you know, placarding, protesting Christians, railing against all the ills and evils in society. Listen, the the problem is not just morality or, or a lack of it. The problem is not those secondary things. The problem beneath our problem is that we need to know Jesus. And who knows, when we come to know Jesus and the heart issue comes right, the other issues start to tend to work themselves out in the wash. And one of the reasons I love City on a Hill, one of the reasons why I think this is a great, great church is because the mission is to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. How many people would say that's a mission that I could give myself to? That mission like aligns with what Paul is praying. I want to encourage you, if you call this church home, pray for that mission, give to that mission, join yourself to that mission, serve that mission, because people in Melbourne desperately need to know Jesus. That's what Paul prays, and that's why this church exists. Now, some of us are here and you're like, yeah, 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 good point, Queenslander, but I already know Jesus, so can can you get into the deeper stuff? And uh, let, let me just point something out here. Paul is not praying for outsiders, Paul is not praying for all the people outside of the church in Ephesus. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. He's writing to the Christians saying, oh man, I'm praying that that you would, by the spirit of revelation and wisdom, that you would know or have a knowledge of God. You see, Paul is pointing out that when you and I come to know Jesus, that's not just a one-off event. But to know Jesus should be a dynamic passion in our life. To me, one of the scariest verses in the Bible is in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, on the day when we stand before the Lord, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, but did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so apparently, according to Jesus, we can be insightful, powerful, dutiful. We can serve him. There can even be signs, wonders. There can even be evidence. And yet we can miss the mark entirely because God doesn't just want to be served. God doesn't just want to be studied. God doesn't just want to be defended. God wants to be known. And so I want to encourage us at the start of a new year, let's be a church that has that desire in our heart that I want to know Jesus more by the end of 2023 than I knew him at the start of 2023. You might be here today and you say, well, I know Jesus. I prayed a prayer of salvation 39 years ago. Well, I want to say, City on Hill, let's not become complacent in our knowledge of Jesus, because there is so much more that we can know. You know, um, Sarah and I got married. This year will be our 15-year wedding anniversary. And uh, we got married on the 26th of April. So every year, I suggest that we come to Melbourne for our wedding anniversary so I can go to the game on the 25th of April. Uh, I was an Essendon supporter my whole life. Now I've given up on Essendon. Now I support Guy Mason. But... um, (laughs) You know, imagine, imagine Sarah says to me, um, baby, I know we've been married 15 years, but, but don't you want to get to know me more? 
Imagine if I responded to my wife, hmm, no, not really. <laughs> Pretty much feel like I know all there is to know. Who knows, I would get a Will Smith slapping <laughs> from my wife. Because even though I've known her for, or been married to her for 15 years, there is so much, no, no husband would ever say that. And yet sometimes complacency can set in in our heart and we think, oh yeah, I know Jesus. I want to tell you there is so much. You have not even begun to scratch the surface of the glory and the goodness of God. Look at, look at what Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 8. Paul is sitting up writing the Bible, planting churches. And Paul says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In verse 10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And so that is a challenge to my complacent heart because Paul, greatly used by God, and yet Paul says, you know what? I know him and oh, that I may know him. I have tasted of the living water and yet I'm thirsty for more. Let's be a people who don't rest in complacency, but who say like David, there is one thing that I have desired. There is one thing that I seek to dwell in the house of the Lord. Let's be a people who love Jesus and want to know Jesus more and keep pushing forward toward that goal. Like Paul says, J.I. Packer says it this way. He says, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God. Most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. And so if at the end of 2023, I had lost 10 kilos but didn't know him, it's a failure. If I got that promotion but I didn't know Jesus, have I gained anything? If I finished that renovation on the house but don't know him, has it been a good year? If I've taken that holiday but I don't know him, then Paul would say it's a failure because to know Jesus surpasses the worth of any other accomplishment in our lives. And so Paul is praying and he's praying to people in the church and he's saying, here's the headline of the prayer, that by God's Holy Spirit that you would have a knowledge of Jesus that surpasses secondhand knowledge. So if you're visiting this morning, you're new to faith, you're checking it out, I want to encourage you, do Alpha. City on a Hill offer Alpha. It's a wonderful way that you can come to know Jesus in a real and a personal way. But take steps, move toward that goal of knowing him. Now, I said earlier that in Ephesians 1, in this prayer, there is one headline and there is three sub points. Is everyone tracking okay so far this morning? I've had two coffees, I'm jacked, I'm good to go. One headline, we've talked about the headline. The headline, the big idea is praying that you would know Jesus. The subpoints of that idea come in verse 18 and 19. He says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Can you see there's three sub points there, which are the breakdown of the headline. Let, let me frame it for you this way. If, if someone said, or you were talking to a, a colleague maybe who works in a different city and you said to them, oh, you haven't been to Melbourne. You would then say, oh, you have to come to Melbourne. I mean, the food, the sport, the creativity, man, it's all part of the Melbourne experience. Can you see how the headline is, you've got you to come to Melbourne. This, I feel like I'm doing PR right now for the Labor government. Um, 
Here's the headline, but here's the subpoints. Oh man, to know Melbourne is to know the sport, the culture, the coffee. You, you could, you, and so Paul is almost doing a similar thing. He's saying, you don't know Jesus. Well, well you need to know Jesus. And oh man, the, the hope, the value, the power, it's all part of the experience of knowing Jesus. Maybe we could understand it that way. And so there's three subpoints that Paul wants us to know and experience in our faith. Number one is this, Paul prays that we would see the hope the hope that is before us through Jesus. Now, Christians are curious people. Don't point at anyone, but, but Christians are curious people. We, we are a people of history and we are a people of hope. Christians have an eye to the past and Christians have an eye to the future. You see, as Christians, we understand that our faith is anchored in a historical event. Our faith is anchored in the historical event of the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth in our place for our sin at a hill called Calvary just outside Jerusalem and then his resurrection raised to new life on the third day. And so Christianity in a very real sense looks back to a historical reality and Christianity looks forward to a future reality. You see, the Bible teaches us that Jesus has come and Jesus has inaugurated God's salvation program, but it's not yet complete. The kingdom is now, but the kingdom is also not yet. And so consequently, as followers of Jesus, we have an eye to the past where we see what Jesus inaugurated through his death and resurrection, but we also have an eye to the future because our prayer is and our our confidence is that Jesus is going to come again at a future day. And so hope, this this substance called hope is always connected to something that is not yet seen, but lies ahead in the future. And so when Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus, he's praying that they would know the hope of his calling. In other words, for the Christian, there is an amount that we experience now, but there is an amount that we will experience at a future day. There is hope laid up for the Christian. Paul, when he's praying for the church in Colossae, he refers to it as the hope laid up for you in heaven. And so ultimately, our hope is not in political leaders. Our hope is not in the economy. Our hope is not in our own skill and ability. As believers in Jesus, our hope is in his second coming and the hope laid up for us in heaven. The Bible says that we have the hope of salvation. We have the hope of righteousness. We have the hope of resurrection to an incorruptible body, which is a glorious hope for people who suffer in this life from maybe chronic illness and pain. Ours is a hope of eternal life. Ours is the hope of God's glory. And and men who lose hope are men who tend to quit. Men who lose hope a men who tend to despair. People who lose hope tend to lose perspective. And that's why Paul is praying. Remember, he's praying for a church that is likely experiencing economic pressure, social pressure, spiritual pressure. And Paul is praying that they might know the hope to which they have been called. Why? Because when we know the hope to which we have been called, we are far more likely to endure and to persevere, and to not trade up our eternal reward for some fleeting pleasure. 
And so I want to encourage someone here today that there is a hope laid up for you. You might not see hope in the natural spheres of your world, but if you would allow the Spirit of God to open the eyes of your heart, there is a hope that transcends this life. We are a people who are grateful for what Jesus has done in history past, and we are expectant for what Jesus is going to do in history future. And because we believe in the absolute trustworthiness of what he's done in the past, we believe in the trustworthiness of what Jesus will do in the future. And that's where we anchor and focus our hope. Can you say amen this morning? Number two, Paul prays that we would see the value that is given to us through Jesus. Now, now Paul goes from speaking about the hope of his calling to speaking about the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints. I've got to be honest, for many years I read this and probably didn't understand it well. I probably just figured, oh, that basically means God's got good stuff up ahead. So be happy. But, but really what this dives into is it's not speaking about our inheritance. In other parts of Scripture, the Bible speaks about our inheritance. But here Paul speaks about his inheritance. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened to grasp his inheritance. It's God's inheritance that he is going to receive. And somehow God's inheritance is connected to the saints. That's, that's you and I. So, so what's Paul doing here? Paul is employing Old Testament language where throughout the Old Testament, God frequently refers to his people as his inheritance or his heritage. Deuteronomy 4 verse 20 says, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. Uh, Peter, one of the leaders in the early church, would employ this same language when writing to New Testament believers. And Paul says, uh, Peter says, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so Paul is praying that the Ephesians, and I believe that we would grasp deep down in our heart this beautiful truth that you and I are actually the inheritance. God's people are his inheritance, that he adopts us. He calls us to himself. He calls us to be his own chosen people. And in case we would be tempted to fall into pride and vanity and think, oh, yes, of course God called me for his own because I'm awesome. No, no, no. Peter says he he did that so that we would proclaim his excellency. Who knows the reason that God calls us to himself is not because we are excellent, but because he is excellent. How many people today would say, I'm grateful that God calls us according to grace. He saves us. He calls us. He brings us out of the iron furnace of sin where we couldn't save ourselves, And he makes us his own special possession. This to me has to sink deep down into our heart that God has chosen in his own sovereignty, to set his love upon us, to make us his own, to purchase us with his own blood so that we might belong to him. I believe that our hearts need to be reminded of this. Why? Because our hearts are thirsty. We seek validation. We seek to know value. And if we don't find our value in God and his adoption of us, then we will grasp for something or someone else to affirm our sense of value 
and identity. I was reading some time ago about Madonna in Vanity Fair, uh, who, who gave an, uh, an interview to Vanity Fair. Madonna is someone who, in the eyes of secular culture, has ticked the box on every form of value and worth in our society. And yet, look at what Madonna says. She says, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me and pushing me because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and probably never will. Now, regardless about what you think about Madonna's music, that's really sad. Because here's someone who we would think has got security, has got a sense of worth, a sense of identity and value, and she's saying, it's a struggle that never ends, and it's driving me, and I have to prove that I'm somebody. Christian, you do not have to prove that you are somebody. It's God's calling of us and choosing of us that that becomes the anchor where we find our worth, and Paul is praying for this church in Ephesus, and he's praying, I want you to know deep down in your heart that the struggles, the challenges, the pressures that you face in this life are not ever evidence that God doesn't care about you. And they're not evidence that God has abandoned you. No, he loves you. You are his inheritance. He has chosen you and made you his heritage. And God delights in us. Again, not because we're great, but because he is great. And I believe when that sinks deep down into our heart, there comes a security, there comes an assurance that changes our entire internal motivation system for how we live this life. Is this making sense this morning? I've got a few minutes left. There's a famous movie called Chariots of Fire. Anyone seen the movie Chariots of Fire? A couple of people. Uh, anyone ever run on a beach and hummed the soundtrack in your own head? Come on, be on, then you trip over and it's not as glorious. Tells the story of the 1924 Paris Olympics. Focuses in on two particular characters, Harold Abrahams and Eric Liddell. Uh, Eric Liddell had a strong faith in Jesus He knew what Paul was writing about and praying. He knew Jesus deep down in his heart. And famously, he decided not to run the 100-meter event, even though it was his strongest race because it fell on the Lord's Day. And uh, he wanted to worship Jesus on that day. Well, Harold Abrahams is the other main character. He was not a person of faith. Both elite athletes, both at the top of their game. And yet, they, they ran, they did what they did from very different internal motivators. Harold Abrahams in the movie, he says this, and now in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor, four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? How sad that this man has has got all the skill, all the attention of the world, and yet internally he is still trying to strive to prove some sense of value and contribution to the world. Eric Liddell, on the other hand, he said this, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. When I run, I feel God's wrath. (laughs) Can you see how you can have two people in the same church? One is striving. They are volunteering on a team, but it's out of a sense of trying to prove something. They are contributing. They are praying. They are involved, but internally, they're still trying to prove that they are a somebody. And yet you can have somebody else serving right next to them. And yet they're not 
proving anything. They're just doing what they do for God's pleasure and to make a difference. Why? One person has had the eyes of their heart opened to know that they are part of God's glorious inheritance and God has lavished the riches of his grace upon them. And so I'm praying today for you and for me that we would know the riches of God's grace and that we would know ourselves as part of his people and that we would find our identity, our assurance and our value in that beautiful truth. Number three, the last thought today is the band come back and please a vocalist so I don't sing. Number three, the third sub point that Paul would pray that's all wrapped up in knowing Jesus is this Paul prays that we would see the power that is toward us through Jesus. Now, what I find interesting is, is when we read this prayer of Paul, nowhere does he mention the cross. I'll take that up with him when I get to heaven. Nowhere does he mention the cross. Why? Because in this particular instance, Paul was not trying to persuade them of God's love. In this prayer, he's trying to persuade them of God's power. And so he points not to the cross in this moment, but he points to an empty grave. He says that they would know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, Jesus, at his right hand, at the Father's right hand in the heavenly places. Basically, it boils down to this. If the resurrection is false, Christianity is powerless. But if the resurrection is true, Christianity is infinitely powerful. And so I want to encourage us today as we sit under this topic of prayer, I want to encourage us with this. If the resurrection is true, come on, let's pray like it's true. There's a lot of Christians who pray like the cross is true, but pray like the resurrection is false. We don't just serve a God of love, though thank God we do. We serve a God of power. And so we ought pray in light of the cross and we ought pray in light of the empty tomb. And we need that reality to sink down deep into our heart because church, I know what it's like to look at problems, circumstances, situations and think, man, there is no way. And we can feel discouraged and we can feel overwhelmed and we can feel intimidated and and, and we look at people in our world maybe colleagues maybe a family member and we think there is no way that they could ever receive Christ anyone know someone that you think man that's probably like the last person to ever receive Jesus thank you for not pointing at me Uh, that's great anyone we we would all know people that we think there is no way that they could well notice a few verses later chapter 2 verse 1 Paul says well you were dead in your sin and trespasses and, and yet God made you alive through Christ. Why? Because this resurrection power it is, a, it is a power that gives new life and calls dead things to a new existence. And so it's a life-giving power and it's a saving power. I want to encourage us at the start of a new year, be prayerful for the people in your world, even the people who you think there is no way. I want to tell you there is a way. If God could save and bring new life to a Saul of Tarsus and make him an Apostle Paul, then your friend, I'm going to hazard a guess that your friend who seems hard-hearted has probably not filled their weekend by shutting down churches and imprisoning Christians. Like, if you do have one of those friends, I'd rather not meet them. But your friends are not so hard that God's power could not transform them. And so come on, church, let's pray for those people in our world. Finally, I think we can look at not just people, we can look at problems 
in our life. And we can think, man, there is no way that that will ever change. And yet I believe Paul would say, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened to the fact that it's a saving power and it's a miracle working power. Let let me just share two stories just to encourage us as we pray. One of our board members, beautiful lady called Faye, and uh, she's got a daughter called Tony, who in 2018 was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. She had surgery, chemo, all clear. And then in July last year, the cancer returned, stage four cancer in her lymph nodes, her lung, and in her groin. She had more surgery and six rounds of aggressive chemo were scheduled for her. And then some of people from our church, not the pastors, just people from our church got together and prayed and called upon Jesus to heal and do a miracle. And after three rounds of chemo and that juncture point where the church prayed, Tony went back to the doctor and the oncologist lifted his hands to heaven, said, you're cancer free and it's a miracle. Who knows, Jesus still does miracles today. There's another person on our team who um, she and her husband lead our Sunshine Coast campus. Uh, Her name's Aisha. And um, she last year in January, well, she's had long-term heart condition, long-term health difficulties, uh, surgery on her heart as a teenager. Well, January last year, she caught COVID, but she got like the long COVID. And so for 15 weeks was virtually housebound, bedridden, hardly left the house, finally got well enough to, to get up and kind of lead again and do some ministry. And so she was kind of out of house for about eight weeks. And then in July, she got COVID. In August, she got COVID again. Constant chest pain, palpitations, lack of sleep, exhausted, fatigue, vomiting, breathlessness. She went from like running daily to hardly being able to walk more than a few hundred meters. And this lasted right through to November. Imagine spending half of your year housebound. Well, in November last year, we had a a campus pastor's key team retreat on the Gold Coast. And she dragged herself along, spent most of the time in bed. And we're together as a team in a huddle praying, a little like we did before the service this morning. And I felt, you know, I should pray for her. But there's that voice that said, what good is it? You've already prayed before. Nothing's happened yet. Just let it run its course. I don't know if you get that voice, but I get that voice. And and thought, oh, well, come on, maybe the Holy Spirit, probably the Holy Spirit prompted us. We prayed as we began to pray. I don't know how to explain it, except there was a tangible sense of the beautiful presence of God in the room. Tears came into my eyes. I don't cry a lot. I'm an Essendon fan. I cry quite a lot in the winter months, but I don't cry a lot. Tears came into my eyes and I don't know what it was, but it was like God was there somehow mysteriously. Well, we prayed for her that morning. That night, I had to drive back home. That night, I'm checking Instagram at like 11 o'clock and she's out for dinner. Think you should be homesick. The next day she runs 15 kilometers. And then Sunday she leads two services like Steph has this morning. And Monday she goes to work. All the Queensland health people are trying to figure it out. And she gets miraculously healed and has had full energy since then. She's now running 50 kilometers a week. I'm like, pray for me. I need some of that miracle power. Now, why doesn't God heal everybody? I don't know. What I do know is God will be in the foyer after the service and you can ask him. (laughs) I don't know. There's mystery to it. But God didn't ask me to be his marketing PR ambassador. He just calls us to pray. And so I want to encourage you, perhaps there's something that you've stopped praying for, that you've put in the too hard basket. Pray without ceasing. Keep on praying. Be steadfast in prayer because God is a miracle working God. And the supreme demonstration of that is when he worked his power 
in Christ and raised Him from the dead. And so to sum all of that up, Paul would pray that we would know Jesus and that we would know the hope of His calling because if we don't know His hope, we're prone to discouragement. Paul would pray that we would know that, that, that we would know um, that, that, that we are a part of his inheritance because if we don't know ourselves as part of his inheritance, then we are prone to doubt. And, and that we would see the greatness of his power because if we don't know and if we're not reminded of the greatness of his power, we're prone to despair. If we would pray this prayer, I believe the Holy Spirit could elevate us above discouragement doubt and despair to be believers of faith and assurance and confidence. There is a perspective and a courage that comes when our spiritual eyes are opened to who Jesus is and who we are in light of Him. So I want to encourage you as we close, pray this prayer for yourself. Pray, Holy Spirit, would you open the eyes of my heart? Jesus, would you help me to know you more this year? Help me to know your power. Help me to know myself in light of your inheritance. And why don't we pray this prayer for the people in our world as well, in Jesus' name. Come on, let's stand together. I would love to pray for you. And then the team are going to lead us in worship. I wonder if we could just close our eyes, just so we're not distracted. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you this morning for who you are for everything you've accomplished. We look back at the cross and the empty grave with joy and faith. Look, we look forward to the hope that we have. We fix our eyes on that hope afresh for people who feel discouraged this morning. Let the reality of the soon return of Jesus be present in our heart. Let it frame the way that we live, act, Make decisions, I pray. Father, I pray that we would do away with that voice of doubt. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would silence the voice that says we have to strive and prove. Pray that we would know ourselves as your people who you have chosen because of your greatness. Lord, I pray that we would know your power. I pray for those of us who have maybe quit praying, Lord, that we would be persuaded again of the resurrection power of Jesus. I pray that it would be the fuel of our prayer, that we would pray and keep on praying. Let there be a persistence in prayer, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.